You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. So the question of the night is, who on Discovery will get silver eyes first after passing through the galactic barrier? Think about that, because it's 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and that must mean it's Mission Log Live. I'm Norman Lau, and, and thank I'm you for Holly. joining us. <laughs> yeah, I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. That's okay. Uh, That's fine. I threw you a curveball. I'm Holly Amos. You are Holly Amos. Thank Hi. you for being here, Holly Amos. And tonight we're going to discuss Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 10, The Galactic Barrier. Oh, my God. It's there. <laughs> that was my silver eyes. That's your silver eye. Okay. Batusi move. <laughs> uh, get your questions and comments ready and give us a call. You know how to do it. Click on the Zoom link or use the one tap from your smartphone or call us at 669-900-6833 and enter the meeting code and the password. And then you'll be in the Earl Green Room. Does your dad just wait until the show starts? Because your dad is number one again in Facebook, which is fantastic. So, I think it's amazing. So my dad is retired. Right. He's mm. a retired master auto technician, not a mechanic, master mm. technician. Yeah. Um, they're like top level. Um, so he, I mean, still does a lot around the house to help like maintain, but you know, he has a lot of free time. So um, I know that my parents watch this on the big flat screen. Like my dad feeds the, uh, Oh, okay. Puts it, put, puts the feed through the Wait, big screen. So if he, if he's at home doing technician stuff, does that make him domestic household technician? I guess he still, you know what? He still has um, uh, an area where he can do work on cars. Like my parents uh, paved in one of the side yards and that's like my dad's side of the yard. And he still fixes stuff over there. Sometimes Good for you, Bob. And thank for you for being here. People. And thank but you for he- being number one. <laughs> He used to own an auto repair shop in Riverside for most of my life. My parents owned a, an auto, but they sold it when my dad retired. So to do domestic housework technician stuff. Now he, uh, one of the first projects that he did after he retired, my mother decided that she wanted to raise chickens. Oh, and my dad, who is admittedly not great at woodworking, built a really cool chicken coop. Nice. Yeah. So there's All a really right. nice chicken coop in my parents' backyard and my mom has three chickens. Fresh eggs for everybody. Yes. Speaking of- All day, every day. <laughs> I don't think that they can even eat that many eggs. So out there in the chat, who wants some free eggs? Talk to Bob Amos. We'll get you hooked up. <laughs> That's what we do here on Mission Law. We talk about Star Trek and make sure that you get the freshest poultry this side of Riverside. So uh, let's say <laughs> everybody have obviously Bob Cosmos here. Hi, Cosmo. It's nice. It's always great in the chat. Uh, to start off looking down the column here and seeing at least two Pauls already checking in. So thanks for the Pauls being here. Hello, Jane. Hello, Chris. Is that a third Paul or is it just Pauls just know. populating I lose, the chat? I lose count of the Paul. Are we up to four Pauls now? It's possible. It's definitely, but we, we definitely have them on Discord and we'll talk about that later. Uh, Dave Ketchy's here. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Uh, John Arminio, always good to see you. Uh, Cap Mike, uh, what's happening, my man? Alan? Cooley. Hello, Cooley. Everyone give the Cooley to Cooley. Uh, Dave, good to see you. I think we do have three Pauls here. Scott Palm. Uh, so many great, fantastic, you know, regular listeners, regular supporters, and people that are ready to talk about this week's episode, because it's kind of neat. There's It's kind of a throwback type of title, but very obviously future 
characteristic. We're going to talk about that later in our notes. But I want to let everyone else here know that coming up this week on Mission Log, excuse me while I do my hair thing, coming up this week on Mission Log, we engage with Deep Space Nine listeners with a very special supplemental done in the style of Mission Log Engage. Now, if you're not familiar with Mission Log Engage, that's the show that we do exclusively for YouTube where John and I take a look at a variety of different emails or messages or social media comments, and then we don't shy away from them. We tackle them head on. They can either be complimentary or critical or both and have a discussion about them very quickly on YouTube. But for this particular supplementary show, we're doing that format for an audio standard audio release podcast that is going to be coming out this Thursday. Mission Log Prodigy not really anything new going on right now, not until later on this fall, if you've seen the big schedule that has been making its way through social media. But we have recently released an interview with Ashley V. Robinson, myself, and the Hageman brothers talking about some soft spoilers and Prodigy, the new toy line that's going to be coming up. So if you haven't been able to check that out, make sure you listen to that too. Oh, everybody's going to be able to get a Murph. Yeah, right. <laughs> and multiple. I just want an entire desktop of Murphs. Right. <laughs> that could trip Murph could translate into so many interesting products. This is my consumer product brain kicking in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've already thought about Murph pencil erasers or pencil toppers. Obviously, Murph like some type of uh, like gummy jelly baby, something like that. A jelly Murph. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, They'll make you smile, hug him or eat him. Doesn't matter, right? This is yeah. what Murph does. Also, uh, on the Roddenberry Entertainment channel on YouTube, we have uh, Mission Log the Orville, or Mission the Orville, and that is ca- held by Captain Mike Richards and Jessica Lynn Verde. Make sure you listen to them for all of their catch-up work, and Mike's in the chat, so go ahead, Mike, and pimp the show, if you so please. And then one more thing, uh, John and Holly next week have the distinct pleasure of doing, I think, is a Mission Log Live first, which is going to be the doubleheader, one of three weeks worth of doubleheaders as Discovery and Season 2 of Picard overlap. So the format is going to be 90-minute show, 45 minutes apiece, covering Discovery for the first half of the show, ad break, and then Picard for the second half of the show. Then I come in on... Picard's uh, episode two, and then John and Holly finish up on episode three. And then not until May, I believe it's May 3rd, when the final episode of Picard and then the first episode of Strange New Worlds overlaps. Mm -hmm. But that's only for one week. So that's pretty exciting. It's it's exciting that there's any crossover, though, because I remember when there was nothing. It's so exciting that we have like... I would rather it be like super complicated and have too many shows going out at the same time than to have nothing. So. I mean, it's, it's really dense out there. I mean, when you think about it, there are in the span of this year, there will have been five on air. Mm-hmm. So there'll be Star Trek Discovery, Star Trek Picard, Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Star Trek Prodigy, and Star Trek Lower Decks. Yep, that's five. In 365 days. That's pretty exciting. So yeah. everyone who's a Star Trek fan, celebrate. This is the time to be a Star Trek fan. It's the best time to be a Star Trek fan. So let's jump into Star Trek Discovery with our recap for Season 4's Episode 10, The Galactic Barrier. After the events of Rubicon, i.e. after Tarka torpedoed the DMA, it's fair to say that there is a sense of urgency around the conference table at Federation headquarters. 
as Dr. Kovich briefs the DMA First Contact Task Force that Species 10C may now see any attempt at communication as an act of aggression. Adding to the already tense situation, Commander Stamis informs Burnham, President Rillick, and Admiral Vance that a new DMA controller will materialize and start harvesting within 12 hours. The clock is ticking as Rillick ramps up the tension even more as she informs Vance that she is joining the first contact mission and needs his support for the Federation vice president if she doesn't return. Meanwhile, on Book's ship, Jesse's about to dump Tarka off on some random habitable planet. Tarka cites science as his defense with a defendable action in destroying one DMA controller, which now has pointed the way to Species 10C and their location beyond the galactic barrier. Book's also going to need Tarka's help to get through the barrier's deadly radiation field by modifying his ship's shields with programmable antimatter. And guess who's on board who knows where to find some? Back at Federation headquarters, Saru bids Commander Bryce a fond farewell and romantically addresses President Tarina, believing that this may be his one and only chance to express to her how he feels. Before she can respond, she is interrupted by an aide bearing immediate pressing matters. Captain Burnham makes the rounds and welcomes back Ensign Adira Tao, who is gushed over by Stamets, obviously proud of their contributions in upgrading Discovery shielding. Later, Burnham and President Rillick suss out the mission pecking order and agree to stay in their lanes. With all preparations made, Discovery jumps away and arrived just a little outside of the galactic barrier, so it's back to regular old maximum warp, adding a little more time to their trip and just enough for Saru to awkwardly run into President Tarina, who replaced Navarre's ambassador at the very last minute before Discovery launched. Finally, they're approaching the galactic barrier, which causes several crew members to be naturally awestruck, it turns out that Discovery's shields, upgraded as they may be, can only withstand the Galactic Barrier's energy bombardment for a short time. So Stamets sciences out for them to piggyback a ride within special stable spatial cells, which will shield them for a time as it rides to the current through energy currents on the other side. Simple, right? Oh, and just to make matters slightly worse, Burnham and Rillick are informed by Vance that the DMA controller has reappeared, this time in the Alpha Quadrant, and in striking distance of Navarre and Earth. Meanwhile, on a barren and unknown planet, Tarka leads Book to his stash of programmable antimatter. The catch is, it's deep within an abandoned emerald chain camp, which itches Book's trigger finger as he now has Tarka at gunpoint, waiting for, waiting for him to tell all, and Tarka obliges. Where they are was once a camp where he was held captive alongside Oros, a brilliant scientist and one with whom Tarka forged an unbreakable bond 10 years ago while doing the scientific bidding of Osira, or is it Osira? I always get that Osira. messed up. Osira and the Emerald Chain on the side. And Tarka and Oros combined their collective in intellects to construct an interdimensional transporter. But their one and only attempt to power up the device failed, forcing Tarka to leave Oros behind. And he visits this planet now once a year ever since for any sign of Oros's escape. Back on Discovery, and after averting certain disaster from jumping from one spatial cell to another, all in the nick of time, they break through the galactic barrier's energy field and emerge safely on the other side and staring at space, the final frontier. <laughs> Discovery. <laughs> hey, you said the thing. I did. I had to. It's so meta. Discovery's crew all share a special moment about their favorite special places on Earth. Even Stamets has a quiet, reflective moment with Adira, warning them that his overzealous pride and love towards them is simply that. 
President Rillick, after giving the matter careful thought and consideration, tells everyone on board about the threat that Earth and Navarre now face in the wake of the DMA's reemergence in the Alpha Quadrant. Naturally, this news unsettled a great many on board, President Tarina for one, who sought Saru's companionship as her own way of continuing their strained attempts at a conversation earlier. Back on Book's ship, Tarka has modified the shields with his programmable antimatter, and now they are ready to head straight for Species 10C and stop the DMA at all costs. Finally, Burnham and Rillick enjoy a quiet victory, both for the ship and for themselves, as they have grown from this experience of trusting and supporting each other when the time was right and when they needed to show the crew and all on board that their leadership is unified and unwavering. As they both stare off into the distance, whatever comes, Burnham declares that they have to succeed. The end. Epic. Yeah. Lots. Epic, 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 epic story. Oh, <laughs> there's <laughs> portions of it that were epic. And there was one part of it that I was very underwhelmed with. Uh, well, let's, what do you want to start off with first? The uh, exciting part story. or the underwhelming part? The underwhelming part is Tarka's story. You think so? I'm like not. It. I'm not moved by his motivation at all. Like I get that he spent a lot of time with this person. Um, Oros, this is the first time we see, this is the first time we see, like we knew that he was talking about somebody that he had to get back to. Mm -hmm. And, you know, earlier in the season, and I was waiting for this. I was waiting for an expansion on that story and we finally got it. I'm just completely underwhelmed. See, I dug it. I I thought that, this guy like likes and cares about nothing and no one, right? And then all of a sudden, he actually likes and cared about someone. I think that's kind of huge. Uh, that portion is fine. I just I wanted I wish that they had had more time to tell. I guess what I'm complaining about is them, the writers, and just this one episode, sort of like forcing that relationship i I think that i think that's what happens when that's like the one criticism you can make about like these really really short series it doesn't give a chance for like these special moments to breathe right i mean obviously like they're they went through something terrible together they were prisoners together they were being forced to you know well presumably being forced to create these you know weapons of mass destruction and stuff and they were actually making other things on the side Mm -hmm. but I I don't feel like the relationship was expanded upon enough to justify his motivation. I but wish that, we had seen more of their relationship and more of them being on that planet and in that prison together. We might. I hope we do you know, because we I'm very underwhelmed right now. There is a, here's what I don't want to have happen. I don't want to have, if you guys are fans of the movie sneakers, you know where I'm going with this. And if you haven't seen it, then I'm spoiling it right now. It's it's the scene where like the two friends end up separating for a time and they both become like brilliant in their own fields of like, you know, uh, of, of their own fields of expertise. And then one becomes like a force of good and the other one becomes like a force of evil. And I don't want Oros to be like the person who created the DMA. Like, I don't want that. That's that's a trope. And I don't want that to happen. It's like, oh, I did this because it's the only way to get enough power because this is what Tark is going for. It's the only way to enough, get enough power to power up his interdimensional transporter to get back home, mm-hmm. right? So is he using this DMA, this giant piece of technology to do just that? Because Tarka more than one time said, 
that's enough power for me to power up the tech, the technology that we created. Right? right. So I'm like, if he's thinking about it, maybe Oros is thinking about it too. I mean, I'm sure that we're going to, that we're going to see more, but even somebody in the chat said, Carlos says Tarka should have had flashbacks each episode he was on. I don't disagree with that. I something feel small. like yeah, something small. over the course of a longer period of time with more information and more um, of them laying out this, this friendship that these two forged. I like that. We both had the same note that what is, is this is like the longest prologue in Star Trek history. The oh yeah, it was like opening, 14 minutes or something. It was 14 minutes and nine seconds. It was, it was so long. Like all of a sudden the credits pop up. I'm like, no, I thought I was already in the first act. That was really long. It was, it was entertaining, but I was just caught off guard a little bit. Yeah. I was like, well, we're already halfway through the episode and I'm just now seeing the opening credits. I was caught off guard too. I was like, oh, that was a long, was a long intro. Um, um, sad Paul- goodbye to Bryce. Paul is Paul. I see Paul is on hold. He is our first caller and he's like, bring him in. He's like yelling at me. on. I think that, you know, our our notes can wait. We have Paul Harvest. We have one of the Pauls, you know, that's, (laughs) that's royalty. Paul's a royalty. Well, he clearly has thoughts on what we are currently discussing and I want to, he seems bring him in. Yeah. So make sure that you're, you're you're not (laughs) muted, Paul, as sometimes you are. I'm not muted. All right. So, uh, Holly, right Holly, into it. <laughs> Holly, I just like the one time I find Tarka interesting and finally coming around to your point of view. Oh, you and just, now we're opposite. You, uh... you dump on him. I'm like, I would love to watch an episode of this with you just to see if we'd throw things at each other. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I still think I he's a super interesting character. I just don't think the expansion of this part of his story was handled well. See, I it's the only reason I find him vaguely interesting now before he was just a tool. Now he's like, Oh, well, he's got a reason to be a tool. I mean, mean, sure. Like they gave, they gave a little bit of context. I just, I'm, it was so fast and felt forced. I'm like, why do I care about Oros? Like, I just, I I don't, yeah. You know, I think that it's because I think that in the end, like we have, this is episode 10. We have three episodes left. If they can justify where this relationship of his, either could have gone or should have gone or will go if we, if in fact Oros is you know the the final antagonist of this story then maybe in retrospect it may flesh out this particular episode i don't know I if mean, it will it might but oh, so your your thought is that he is the cause of all this consternation oros i, I yeah. don't want it to be but i have a feeling it, it just feels kind of transparent <laughs> that a lot of hints are pointing towards that <laughs> Yeah, I, I had that thought, and I'm like, you know, the next episode preview, it shows the the planet they're going to is blown up, so I don't know what that means, but, you know, no, sorry for that spoiler, but that's a pre-spoiler spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were we were talking about this earlier before the show started, so we were, all, we were doing, like, all of these, you know, do we bring up, you know, the galactic barrier, and where was Shakari and all this? So it's <laughs> yes. not Shakari, because Shakari is galactic center. Yeah, if we bring up the barrier. galactic barrier, I, I have yeah. one major issue with with all of this crap, I wouldn't. I want Doctor McDonald here, or I want John to ask her while she's on the boat, while this is fresh. Why the? Why is this such a big issue now? They have to go through like an amoeba bubble to go out of. Why is it the galaxy's border supposed to be anything special? Because There's you nothing, can't make it too easy. There's nothing out there. I mean, I don't listen. I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying from an entertainment perspective, like they can't just go like it can't be that easy. 
I know, but I, I brought up this, I put this in the notes before we got to it. And I said, I always found kind of like the linear wall-like representation of the galactic barrier strange because they could just fly over it. They literally fly through it and you can see kind of like the top and the bottom in scale of how big Discovery is to the galactic barrier's height. And I'm just like, we'll just fly over it. And then you're yeah, on the other side. Up. Let's right? go Let's go Z-axis. Yeah, go Z-axis and then forward, yeah. right? So I'm like, it has to be... I wish it wasn't defined. I wish it was just like they enter it and all of a sudden everything just goes haywire. So is it like a pancake shape or is it like a, is it a circle around the specific? And what happens when two galaxies collide? Does it, you know, it's such, it's scientifically unsound. Oh, the captain, captain Mike is pointing out that they are respecting canon because this is not the first time we've seen the galactic barrier. This is the fourth time. That's true. My wife pointed out that there is a song about it when universes collide, right? Is yeah. There? I don't I don't know. And there's also there's <laughs> also NASA videos of what it could look like if we collide with Andromeda, which is apparently supposed to happen, obviously not during any of our lifetimes, but if we collide with Andromeda, then Rami comes on my ship. It's, it's a really... Uh, <laughs> you guys a, get that out there? Yes, you It's do. a really pretty dance when they collide, if you guys find that NASA video. It is a, Every, it is a cool video. I've seen I'm sure video. it's very violent, <laughs> but from afar, it's very pretty. You hear me, chat? Put that stuff. Put those links in the chat. Do it, <laughs> do it for us. Do it for us. Hey, did you guys give a Cronenberg shout out too? We need that shout out with the three-hour tour or whatever the heck that oh, was. Oh, was that yeah. Gilligan's Island reference? That was <laughs> Gilligan's Island. It was. I put that in my notes. I was like, mm, that, yeah. if we're still referencing Gilligan's Island like a thousand years from now, I'm going to be <laughs> just super like, impressed. He just sort of tucked it in there. I just, I wonder if it was actually written or if it was ad lib. It would. God, I hope it was ad lib. It would it suit was, him if it was It was super tongue-in-cheek because I'm like, he goes, <laughs> they're not going for a three-hour tour. I'm like, Really? <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, oh, that's the very 1960s of you, Cronenberg. Ah, Cronenberg. So, yeah. So, and what then, else you got for us, Paul? Uh, uh, you know the the leader day, down Holly, the leader detente. Well, you know, I got it. It's it's Holly. She's only here once a week. She never shows up on mm. Thursday. So we, you know, we got to take our shot when we can, right? Ooh, that's shade. what this is. About. <laughs> I'm no. sorry. <laughs> no, it's. I love having the opposing view of, of someone. And, you know, I, I, I just could what? never figure out your intrigue with, with Tarka until today. And now. Well, I'm okay. Like, so here's the thing that I, I think the reason why I was intrigued with him is because there was, there was mystery, right? Like, where is this guy coming from? What are his motivations? And now I've learned the motivations and I'm like, that's, that's not enough for me. Okay. Lord. What Aside would you the, what, uh, what would you do? What would you write for Mr. Tarka? I I I would I would have expanded on that more. I probably would not have done it just in this one episode. I want to know more about the relationship and why Oros is so special to him. I mean, but, but we still might get that though. I hope we do because I'm yeah. bored right now. Because I personally think, and I don't want to speak out of turn and I don't want to speak insensitively about this, but I think that he is in love with Oros and Oros was in love with him. I think they were in love. Oh, that would be great. That, that would that would give yeah. a lot more context. Also, mm-hmm. like dark haired Tarka. Darka? Dark <laughs> Darka. Yeah, dark haired Tarka. Darka was a choice. I was inspired. I we have Alan uh, in the waiting room. I was inspired with that pine as soon as he came on screen. So <laughs> Oh. You're giving me energy, chat. You're giving me okay, energy. Okay, so Holly now has earned a writer's hat. 
Oh yeah. yeah. Right, but Holly, you, you got to do it in, in the traditional uh, erudite fashion of mission logs. Like, let me put on my writer's hat. That just basically, it, it, it triggers everyone who's fans of John and I, when we do that to send us emails for engage. So make right. sure you do that well, and, every- and you'll get emails for engage. Congratulations. You now have a writer's hat reference and a target on your back. Well done. <laughs> Forward the emails to me. <laughs> Anyway, as always, it's great to chat with you, too. I see Alan's in the room. Um, good luck with Alan, and uh, let's see how this thing finishes up. But first of all, <clears throat> yeah. yeah, we're going to begin to that. Yes, soon. we are. Looking forward yeah. to that, too. Should so. I wear my Picard sweater next week? My Picard sweater is a weird, deep cut. I don't even think my sweater was actually sold. Yes, oh. then wear it. Then I'll wear it. it. I'll, wear my, yeah. I'll, I'll wear it next week. So then you can say to all the people out there that for whom you put your writer's hat on, it's like, you see this, this is what I write with. And this is why you can't, because I have the only one. Jealous. Yeah. I think it's wrong. I don't know. I'll have to get it Um, out. (laughs) That was a great face, by the way. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. Also like screenshotting all of your, uh, all of your expressions for memes later. I wouldn't know how I'm too old. Anyway. (laughs) See you guys later. Have a good week. All right. You too. Bye. Thanks for calling in, bud. Bye. Alan, we have Alan up next. What's happening? In the lower decks. Always in the lower decks. Always. Always in the lower decks. I want want to actually see that couch of yours in their like rec room somewhere. They need like a really comfortable couch. Honestly. Yeah. I mean, and believe me, I, if, if this wasn't a comfortable couch, I would be, you know, I would have set up somewhere else, but it just works so well. And I'm on my couch too. I only have about, you know, two feet of, of actual green screen. So I have to put it up somewhere in order to get the effect Ah, to work. Gotcha. But yeah, yeah, it is, it is great to be here. And uh, I, while I enjoyed the recap, I, I think it I think it might go better like this. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale. A tale <laughs> of a fateful trip that started from this Starfleet port aboard this old ass ship. Up, people. The mate what? was a mighty Kelpian, the skipper brave and pure. The delegate set sail that day for a three hour tour. A three hour tour. The three hour tour. This is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes. I was hoping it? to get I was hoping to get the whole song done, but uh, Paul was that was that was, that was enough for, to, for me to be impressed. Exactly. So Chad, if you enjoyed Alan's performance, make sure that you subscribe to Discord for the second half of that epic song, that oh, epic remastering that. that he's done. All and, uh, for yeah, all for Patreon subscribers. That is That's... for a special tier. So make sure <laughs> you go to www.patreon.com slash mission log and you'll be able to see the lyrics for the continuation of Alan's performance. Here oh, tonight. yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, and, and he thinks I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, oh, no, no we're going to hold you to it. I am fully convinced that that. Yeah, that's that. It's a thing that's going to happen, and luckily, I, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm nearly done. But I, you know, that's just a taste. That's just a little, little, little snippet of, of what you can enjoy. Okay, so let's go. Let's, 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 log Patreon. let's go down this rabbit hole with the Gilligan's Island analogy. So let's oh, see. Sure. So who is, who's the professor? Uh, Stamets. 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 Uh, yeah, then Stamets. who would be? Um, Okay, so are we going with the original Gilligan's Island, where it's like the professor and all the rest, or the professor with you know and uh, you know uh, Ginger and Marianne? Oh you know? well, yeah. Um, 
I, you know, I've never been a fan of and all the rest. It's like and all you know, the rest. I'm like, come on, no, they're named actors. You, know, you got to give them credit, right? It's like it's like you know, with our Star Trek crew, you know, you can't just end all the rest to Scotty and Chekhov and and Uhura and everybody. They, you know, let's give them let's give them their 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 roses. You, you know, go. let's 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 you know make it work for everybody. But yes, absolutely, Stamets is the professor. Did uh, uh, a movie star? Oh gosh. Well, I guess that would kind of be. I know it's a gray, tough one. Gray is gray is, and I, I'm you know. I was thinking Gray and all, Adira as that couple. Yeah, with, say, all, with all due what respect. What do you think of Ginger and Marianne out there? I'm going to throw it out to you too. Don't let Alan hang out here and just he's he's dancing like a you know like I'm, bacon I'm, on a hot plate right here. Yeah. Oh, 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 I'm trying. Oh, try- and Detmer. There you go. Oh, and Detmer. Oh, and Detmer. Uh, millionaire and his wife is clearly Kovich and uh, and Rillick. Oh, yes. So she like Koish, like honking like this, like no, oh, yes, of course, right. like, say, lovey, lovey. So yeah, I know. Best of all, and Should we get. Yeah. Ser- I don't want to get serious because it's too fun to be exactly, serious. Exactly. Right yes. Yeah. So, right? yeah. And then you, of course you've got. Uh, <laughs> I guess. I guess calling Saru little buddy is a little, it's kind of an oxymoron, but it is. God, he's so tall. What if I yes. stood next to Doug Jones and his. Like you're shorter than you're shorter than uh, Sinequa. Cause I know Sinequa is sh- shorter than. I'm, most yes. of the crew. Yeah. I'm shorter than Sinequa by several inches. So how tall is Doug Jones up at chat? You know, he's like I've met Doug Jones. And a half. I met, I met Doug Jones the year before he was cast to discovery. Um, he came to San Diego Comic-Con and he went to the 50th anniversary art show that we had like offsite. Um, and he's very, very tall. Yes. <laughs> but everybody is tall to me. Like people are like, oh, how tall was he? I'm like, I don't know. Everybody's tall to me. So I don't know how to describe that. <laughs> All right. Alan, hold your next thought. I just kind of oh, like yes. want to jump in here. We're at the uh, half of the hour on the show. And I just want to jump into a little bit on Patreon. Now you've heard us all in chat chat you know this by now and if you haven't i'm sorry but i'm going to do this anyway we talk a lot about patreon we talk a lot about discord on the live show because we have so many fantastic friends fan subscribers that subscribe and support and us through patreon, and then writers with writers hats <laughs> and so on and so forth very creative people in our patreon and in our discord so patreon at www.patreon.com slash mission log that's where you can go to to see how would you like to support us through different tier packages of support for as low as one dollar you can join us there and then you can get access to our discord where we have all the fans doing all the fun talking about all the star trek and food and movies and science fiction from the 1950s to now funny enough the galactic barrier kind of makes an appearance in Old science fiction and new science fiction. So <laughs> what a concept, huh? So please, 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 uh, if you're so inclined, please support us there at patreon.com slash mission log. Take a look at um, what suits your needs, what suits you best. And then also please join us because that's where we're having a lot of fantastic discussions about Star Trek and so many other things. And we'd love to have you there. So back to Alan, who has... There is, uh, a, there is a shocking amount of... Uh, uh, uh what is it blake seven and uh the thunderbirds 
Jerry like, Anderson TV. Anime, Jerry Anderson TV. Yes, there oh, is sure. a there is a shocking amount of conversation. If you if you like either of those things, surprisingly, a Star Trek Discord is the place for you. Totally. So right. <laughs> yeah. No. It's there's a yeah. There's a lot of good stuff. Great community and uh, yeah. But uh, I, you know, I I have to say that although I I think I enjoyed this episode as as an episode of Star Trek and you know it was nice to see the uh you know the a little bit of the Tarka backstory and you know finally get some you know uh context for for everything that he's been pushing for um th- this did kind of feel a bit placeholdery in terms of episode structure and and you know how things are how things have been progressing throughout the the course of the show um i liked i liked uh oh god the i can remember the the actor is Osric chow i'm trying to i'm trying to remember the character name but i thought i i enjoyed that character i thought that i don't think he's going i hope he's not going to turn evil um but who knows um are you talking about Oros? Oros, yes, yes. Yeah. Just like, uh, just like the the alien from a couple weeks ago. Really nice makeup, really strong character design, and I thought they did unknown a good alien, job. unknown yeah. alien species, unknown too. species. We don't know. I'm species all right with that. Yep. Right. But yeah, just uh, uh, you know, more proof that you know they can bring in and and drop in a a character like that, just sort of sight unseen and and put together a good uh put together a good episode kind of focused around that character um and i i i kind of buy their 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 little their little shawshank friendship oh shawshank that's a good that's a good comparison yeah it's a it's a it's a little um you know my friend and a friend Andy, that's I mean, right. but Shawshank yes. was a whole movie. This was one episode. Every every year, uh, Taco would get a new poster, and <laughs> that's not bad. Yeah. That's not bad. Good for you. Yeah, but I, I can see it that way. I mean, you know, there's it doesn't necessarily have to. I mean, I I thought that there was a love story between them, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. I mean, there are stories yeah. out there about you know strong male friendships that you know withstand the test of time and space. You know, I I'm mean, fine either way. I just yeah. want to see more footage of them together to help me understand their bond. Got it. Yeah, I would have liked I, to have seen it before this moment. Just small things. I, yes, I yeah. I to- I'm totally on board with the give us flashes as we go, as we could have gone, you know, as it was fine getting it all here together in one place, but having hints of it uh, scattered throughout the, the, the rest of the episodes, rather than him just saying, Oh, I did, you know, I have my reasons. I had a buddy. Um, this was, you know, this was our plan. And yeah, I think maybe, Scott- maybe show us. Scattered references. I think that they could have done the scattered references and helped us understand that connection better all the while still not because part of the reason why I like Tarka is also because he was, you know, we didn't know anything about him. He's very mysterious. And I I think that they could have told us more about his backstory over the course of a longer period of time while also keeping him mysterious. 
I would have liked to have seen him like react and maybe seeing that one symbol, um, you know, that they shared together just out in the Mm -hmm. wild coincidentally. And it kind of triggered him, you know, like all of a sudden he was like deep in this plan and he ran over to something, check something out and jeopardized what could have been really important just because he's like, you know, he said, I thought that was something. It's it's the thing that looks like five, but not quite. (laughs) it's 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 their special code thing but i was like yeah that could have been neat like every once in a while something just made him act off kilter but i like i guess i guess i i've kind of relegated myself to i'm only going to get so much information out of 13 shows and i know that and i'm not saying this disparagingly because we've always talked about this in the past and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon but the majority of the way that discovery has been crafted or in, in terms of uh, who gets the most airtime isn't going to allow for a lot of side story. Let's be honest. This right? is true. I mean, I'm not saying that it's wrong. I'm just saying that if you want more side story, then they're going to have to break the mold of what's made Discovery popular so far, at least they, what they think has made popular, you know, Discovery popular so far, and that's focus on pretty much one character. Yeah. You know, So if you want to see more characters, you're going to have to break that mold. God, we keep just like getting rid of characters too like Bryce yeah. all of a sudden they're just like bye Bryce and I was I like, like where's he going like, dude. <laughs> right why are we getting rid of him and they almost kind of and the other guy's like fearing for his life he's like shoot I'm, I'm, I'm a first tour duty on discovery am I gonna die you know like I, I don't want to die it, yeah right? I thought that that was the guy I, I think we've seen him before too though was he was he around at the end of last year I know he that was, they did something. We've seen it before. We've seen yeah. it before. Yeah. I want to yeah. say so, yeah. But still, yeah, just to have uh, it's another case where we've got a random crew member who's just back for no for for very with little uh with little introduction. Yeah. Which again, yeah, yeah, you get uh just random well, random red shirts in Well to be fair though, TOS to be fair. Too, I mean, going but, all the way back to TOS, I mean, you know, yeah. in in Spacey, I mean Spinelli took one on the chin, you know, for con, like, you know, so he got an accommodation too. Right. So, you know, there, there, there is a tradition of having kind of like random crewmen doing great things. Yeah. David Takechi in the, in the comments is saying, I think this is why they should bring back. I think they should bring back short tracks or make longer seasons. (laughs) Or I mean, listen, a one, a one-off short track of a little bit more information of a lot of these supporting characters and a lot of these side stories would be, I'd be down. Yeah. And at least that's a show show, you know, even if it's just like, you know, little, little snippets, it isn't like, you know, some certain franchises that seem to expect you to uh, uh, read novels or comic books or spend $6,000 on a two, <laughs> two day vacation to understand various elements of canon. Wait, hold right. on a second. You can't say that because Star Trek made you read Countdown before yeah as the Star Trek, to but the, the, the but difference is is that if you <laughs> don't if you didn't read read countdown and if you didn't yeah. like read the the con um series that they had after into darkness like you still understood what happened so you can still yeah. be a fan like it, but if you want more context you can read those things i mean the con series after into darkness explains why he's suddenly white and british yeah i know i still <laughs> didn't quite work for me um one last thing uh alan because uh we had to cut john john arminio is coming up next we had to cut him off uh, my last show because we ran out of time i want to give him a little bit more space no worries yeah 
So um, one last thought to leave the listeners with, and uh, we're going to get over to John. Uh, well, I mean, uh, preposterous science or not, uh, it's, I, yeah, I get, I get that we want to have the galactic, galactic barrier. Uh, I will say that, uh, you know, I mentioned this on, on the official Discord earlier, but uh, having it be Earth and Navarre, again, feels a bit like uh, cheap heat cheap heat and wrestling uh to always have it be earth you know it's like you know do make it a make it a threat that's a little bit more tailored to this season and this this uh threat specifically instead of always being whoa something could happen to earth well something could happen to earth from any from any season let's let's think outside the box here a little bit Make it be Kronos. We swear oh. we don't know what the Klingons are doing. It could be Bajor. Uh, I mean, I thought I would call those like Bajor and, and it like popped up near Deep Space Nine. I mean, sure. Be, but we also have go. to but we also have to be emotionally attached to what's going on. Yeah. And you know, so, Earth is is the most obvious. But again, we're going back true. to everything revolves around Burnham. Mm, Earth. Those are her two homes. Yeah. So, I gotta think put, but- gotta put those in gotta put those in danger yeah well i mean but uh you know it could maybe maybe it's you know something that threatens relic she's part bajoran she's part cardassian and that would be a little bit a little bit of a a switch up and those are places that we theoretically should care about too so i mean theoretically we should care about well yeah everybody right but emotionally compromised standpoint we care about where the characters care about, and that's largely Earth and Navarre. So, there you yeah. go. Uh. So, all right. Well, all right, have, a good, have a good rest of the show. It's been fun. We'll uh, we'll see how this goes. All right. We have three episodes left, and uh, let's hear what John has to say about this night's ep- tonight's episode, and maybe some speculation for the last three hours of Discovery. What's happening, man? The three-hour tour. <laughs> well done. That uh. is called a callback. <laughs> this is why Holly has uh. the writer's hat. <laughs> I would be a terrible writer. I'm not good at, at creative. No. Oh, I, I, I digress. I can come up with ideas. I cannot write dialogue. John. Yeah. <laughs> give me your thoughts. <laughs> Help us. Uh, uh, I, I can't get away from how I think the, the core problem with some of the, the character building, at like, like, you know, who is Oros and, and what is their relationship? Is it, discovery is constantly in the mode of telling, not showing. Um, so, you know, in this episode, you know, he had, um, uh, Stamets and gray have the, a, a little like, you know, cute moment on the bridge. And then no, later, you're talking about Adira, right? Adira tall, not gray. Gray's not there. Gray's the partner. Gray's still on trill. Oh God! Uh, oh, <laughs> yes. I'm sorry. Um, John put on his writer's hat for a second. Oh, uh, good. Didn't go well. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, and then and then later, we had a scene where Stamets says, "You know, I was trying to be a father figure to you." Yeah. And then uh, when the president made a big speech on the bridge, and then later she told Burnham what that speech actually meant. Um, when really shouldn't have all that information been carried in the first scene that was supposed to be pretty important in, in character building and plot development. And then when we see these flashbacks to 
Oros and the the Emerald Chain Colony um, were supposed to then like infer what their relationship was. So there seems to be some discordance into how Discovery is building its characters and how we're supposed to read into these people. Um, and yeah, I was confused as to what I was supposed to think because like. Like we're seeing these two characters in bed together with their arms wrapped around each other, like looking at the stars, making like maps and signs together in an incredibly intimate moment. But no, they're friends. And so I, I don't know what the show is doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's that's a reasonable you know uh, reaction to it because at one in my first viewing, I was like, I don't, yeah, I, I'm not sure how comfortable I am with making an assumption of their relationship. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, though, I always get to this thing where it always goes back to Garrick for me. When we were talking about Garrick in Deep Space Nine, we always bring up the the sexual labeling of an alien being in a heterosexual relationship, you know, or a homosexual relationship. And that's where I was with how do I define what Tarka and Oros are Mm -hmm. are coming to and just in terms of relationship. And it's like, is it this or is it that? And I'm like, it just is, right? You know, they, they, they're both coming from a survivalist's point of view. They're trying to survive together. It's like, they're the last two people on a life, tra- on a life raft and they're trying just to live, right? And, it's, and there's, a, there's a shared experience, you know, in that dire situation that brings them together emotionally because the trauma of what they're trying to survive is something that gives them a purpose, a purpose for each other and a purpose to try and escape. You know, so- I think that there's a bond there. And then I, I've, I've read stories about, you know, say, you know, um, survivors of war, survivors of that type of like extreme trauma, forging this bond that's unbreakable, no matter like what the, the circumstances may be. And that's also undefinable. You can't put a limitation on the loyalty and the love, whether it's a sexual love or just uh, a, a undescribable bond. Mm. And I think that this, that's where we're trying to get at. I don't think that they were as successful as they attempted to be, Holly, much to your point, but I think that that's what they were trying to get at, which means I'm hoping that it's not Oros in the end that is the cause of this entire DMA thing because he's trying to create the power source that Tarka referenced to power his interdimensional transporter, basically saying that he's annihilated civilizations in order for him to get those two people you know, through that transporter home to, to fulfill that promise. I mean, think about kind of like the, the, the entire chain of events that would lead up to that moment, you know, Quajon being destroyed. Other, you know, space, um, other uh, galaxies, or not galaxies, but other systems being destroyed just to do that. That's pretty intense, I think, if, if I'm seeing the big picture correctly. And am I not? Yeah, he would be... Um you know, the greatest monster in galactic history. And but would he be aware? Because again, like mm-hmm. they're under the impression that there's the possibility that whatever is causing this Oros or otherwise is not aware of the damage that they're actually doing. Yeah. Because they're they're literally just trying to find presumably something that they need to survive and they're trying to mine this, whatever it is. Whatever it does for them, right? Right. And they're just unaware. So I, I don't know. I'm on the fence about whether or not I think I think it being Oros would be a little bit too 
transparent to your point, Norman. Yeah, it's a little too Wizard of Ozzy for me. Like all of a sudden you pull this yeah. and it's like, oh, there's Oros. Like, no, don't pay attention to the man behind the curtain, <laughs> you know, sending the DMAs out to do whatever, you know, um, it would just seem too contrived for me. And that would be, I think it would be, I wouldn't be a letdown because it's already telegraphed. That's, that's kind of like what I'm saying. And I don't want it to be, I want it to be something just completely different. I wanted, I wanted it to be just random circumstances that you couldn't deal with, you know, because sometimes the galaxy just hands you random stuff, right? Just that's the way it is, you know, like weather, like tornadoes, like tearing through towns, you know, skipping one town and completely like, you know, destroying another town. It's just random happenstance. But that's, that's, I guess that's not this story. I'm almost on a tangent. Sorry, John. Yeah, but yeah, that, that's interesting. But I think, you know, we've established that it is a, an intelligence behind the DMA. Right, the um, DMA in and of itself isn't random. There's an intelligence yeah, behind the technology yeah. of that. Presumably 10 C, which we still yeah. don't know what it is. And they're just trying to mine Boronite for some reason. And I, I agree with you, Norm, that I think it would be just a cop out if it turned out to be Oros, because then it would just be, you know, not even related to species 10 C. If, if I'm understanding you correctly, like that, Right now, I think one of the benefits of this plot is that there is a great mystery beyond the galactic barriers as what is the species and what do they need Boronite for? But if it was just like some guy who was in jail that we've seen before, yeah, it would be incredibly disappointing. Yeah. Like you, you know, one of the things that I want from Star Trek is like to explore the unknown and if it's just some scientists, that that would be a, um, a failure of creativity, I think. Oh, and we are where no one has gone before. I mean, yeah. she says it. She said the thing yeah. in her little speech on the bridge. So what were those amoebas? They're spatial cells. Okay. Yeah, they're, they're essentially hot, like, they're plot armor. That's what they are. It's <laughs> plot you know, I mean, let's let's be honest, people. I'm sorry, Chad. I know you're probably getting fired up about it, but they really needed like to invent drama so that Discovery had something interesting visually to go through. Because you know, and so they they went through stable molecule that allowed it to go through the eddies and the currents and the unstable energy of the galactic barrier until they couldn't, which means they had to find the next unstable molecule and then find the next one. And in between the spaces between unstable molecules, the stable molecules is where the discovery was getting torn up and their seals were getting depleted because. But I think now, like, I, I know that tech in the tech and inventing science is, is a trope of all of science fiction and especially Star Trek. But I think when we have several episodes where we know the goal is to get beyond the galactic barrier when these sorts of things are invented we have a lot of time to think about them Mm -hmm. and it just especially because we know that they're like in the real world there is no galactic barrier i i know that that conflicts with canon but it just at least for me it gives me more time to think about the ridiculousness of these cells that don't exist in real life like i i I don't know i'm sorry (laughs) well what i don't get here's the strange thing what i don't get is that you know kovich he can bring up a gilligan's island reference from thousand years ago (laughs) but no one brings up gary mitchell and dr elizabeth danner and how they were affected by the galactic barrier as a matter of starfleet record yeah 
right? Like, yep. doesn't anyone want to bring up that history? It's like, has has a Starfleet ever approached the galactic barrier before? Let me tell you about Gilligan's Island. I mean, come on, <laughs> right? Yeah, that is a problem. I, I think with doing meta stuff in Star Trek that trying to measure the in-universe knowledge of history that we know um, is always sort of dicey. But but in this specific instance, you know, we this show this episode is definitely referencing the original series. Oh, absolutely. But they, to, but they're not acknowledging that this yeah. is, that there's. Th- I mean, you think about. TOS, the naked time versus TNG, the naked now, when they were like, this happened to the Enterprise yeah. back in the day. And so we've like, seen the Enterprise on Discovery. Yeah. So the, the, we have all, we already have connective threads to the original series in this show. So to not talk also, about it at all. Burnham's brother was on board. <laughs> like, not only yeah. do they have, presumably have, I mean, hopefully records survived the burn and the, it not being really functional for however many years it was. But you have like, a again, like a personal, yeah. did Spock just like never tell stories about this, the missions that they were on? Does like Burnham know nothing about his career? Yeah. Presumably she did the 29th century of a Google search on Spock <laughs> and maybe like read up on his service record like once. I got to bring up a couple things that uh, our producer Earl has brought up in chat here. So one prediction: Grudge becomes an Esper. That's canon. Where is Grudge? Throw that in the chat. Where's Grudge right now? Is she? And, is, where is she? Have we looked at her eyes recently? Oh God! You know, shouldn't um, Grudge be tormenting Tarka every day? Wouldn't they hate each other? That's what I, I want to say. I don't think she's on book ship though. Isn't she on oh, Discovery? Okay. I don't know. Where is Grudge? I don't know. Both. Both ships, I'm pretty Grudge, sure she's Chad? on Discovery. Both bridges or both ships are under like extreme danger, and if e- like both or either of them blow up, I'm like, where's the cat? So oh, I just I just don't want to see the dog die. Earl also brings up a good cat, point, but... and I'm wondering if we can like suss this out. He said, "Didn't Gary Mitchell happen after Disco left the 23rd century? Though they'd only know whatever Starfleet has on file." Well, yeah, right. But Starfleet has Gary Mitchell on file, right? And that yeah. carries 900 years yeah. into the future. So, right. All that information would catch up with him. I mean, did the Federation. Oh, uh, yeah. She, she wouldn't have been personally told about that because it was before. No, but in that meeting room, there were like, there's the president. There was right. Tovich, There was like five other officers. Yeah. yeah they, presumably yeah. they would have files. But, but to my point being like, didn't Spock ever like tell stories about his missions? Like she, oh, she uh, left before that. So she would gotcha. not have, um, have heard his personal stories, but ah. you, presumably, yeah, they should have files. I mean, that's how they figured out what was going on in the naked now because yeah. they looked up Starfleet files. Yeah. So, John, what we're looking at in the galactic barrier are giant poly water molecules that make will make everyone go crazy in a way. <laughs> you know, that's that's what we're looking at. Yeah. Is, is that the next uh, meta meta episode? We're going to have naked again once we've passed the galactic barrier. The naked now, the naked time, the naked gun. Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. The know. naked gun. Right. So, yeah, it's it, it's entering this interesting. Yeah. Like, um folding in on kind of like the referential in-joke space. But here's here's one thing that I want to ask you and I want to ask Chad too, uh, Holly and John. Have we gotten to a point as Star Trek fans, because we've seen it all and we've experienced most, where we can't separate ourselves from 
the creatives that are trying to tell the story for, for an audience that has never seen Star Trek. You know, I mean, is, 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 there, is there a point where we can't kind of, I'm not saying that we're gatekeeping in any way, but there is a point where there is an entire audience that will never get these references and they're using them mm-hmm. maybe to hook them into trying to look back in Star Trek's history to be interested in Star Trek's past without jeopardizing the here and now of their storytelling in the future. So well, is that think, something to consider? I think there's a fine line happening in terms of, I mean, obviously like lower decks in terms of their references or it's blatant, right? Like those are blatant ref, deep yeah, yeah. references. Um, well, Spock is for sure. I mean, that's, that's just pretty, you know, erroneous as it gets for, yeah. you know, blatant callbacks, throwbacks. Well, I think in terms of storytelling for, for discovery, like I, you said that they're presuming that they're telling story to people that don't know Star Trek, and I, I think they're trying to keep in mind that they're that they're storytelling for a a new generation of Star Trek fans that maybe the references might pique their interest and they'll go back and watch the old series. Um, but they're they're also trying to tell the story in a way in which the references are not completely throwing people off in terms of not understanding what's going on if you've never seen Star Trek before. But I think they're also aware that like largely the people that uh, I would say like 50% of the audience is, is, is existing Star Trek fans that would understand that stuff and appreciate continuity and references and sort of respect to previous episodes and characters well, I think that's their hope, you know, but I think they also run the risk of like what we're talking about, like, oh, can't they be more creative? And like, well, I think they're, they are being creative for a fan base that has never been exposed to the material that we have seen, you know, in the history of our, our, our long tenure as being Star Trek fans. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a rough thing to have to do, right. To kind of yeah. cater to two different audiences. And right. and even when you're catering to the long term audience who's seen hundreds of hours of Star Trek, there's always the risk of when you incorporate those older storylines or vintage characters, those fans will then get up in arms about what are you doing to these characters that I, that I loved. Like though that person wouldn't act that that way, or that's not how the story went in the original series. Right. Um, and so you're really playing with. You know, I think you're burning the candle at both ends, I mean, trying to appeal to to veterans, Star Trek fans. I think in a lot of ways, the writers are sort of in a lose lose scenario, right? Yeah, because there's yeah. going to be at least one group of fans who are not terribly happy with decisions that were made um, and choices that were made for characters or plots or storylines or references. So that was why I was so uh, uh, so happy with Prodigy. Like I thought it did such a great job of, of just introducing new characters. I thought it felt like um like mm-hmm. a shonen manga mm-hmm. but in the Star Trek universe, so I thought it was fun and introduced a ton of new characters and new canon. Um and I know it was certainly not for like me personally, but I thought it was a blast. Um and I'm 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 waiting for Discovery to blast me. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that I think that this season overall so far has I think been closer towards what I wanted Discovery to to 
to be at the very beginning, like a little, a little less, um, I don't know, maybe a little less uh, reinventing the wheel, you know, with the things that we saw with the Klingon Empire, et cetera, mm-hmm. and yeah. a little bit more kind of like literally looking future forward in terms of, you know, what's out there. You know, let's go explore. Let's not, let's not be beholding to a lot of what we think it, are, is important to the fan base, especially our reinterpretations of, of that and defending those reinterpretations ad nauseum, et cetera, ergo Spock, right? Or the Klingons. Yeah, um, trying to predict what the fan base wants is, you know, a, a losing game. Like, you're, you're, you're never going to give the fans what they want by trying to, like, predict their wants and needs. well it's also because our fan base and a lot of fan bases are not like a singular entity they yes, don't all yes. want the same thing yeah. so somebody is going to be unhappy yeah and very vocal about it because yeah. now social media is a yeah. thing and listening to, to negative social media talk <laughs> is the loudest most negative voices are always going to be the ones you see in here first and you do not want to take your cues from them either I mean, I, I tried to, uh, in, in these last couple of minutes, I tried to to describe kind of like my reaction to Discovery with, with people who are interested in the podcast. They didn't know that I was doing a podcast, but they're Star Trek fans. And they asked me about the new show and what I thought. And I said, you know what? I enjoy it for the attempt that it's, that it's trying to bring, uh, to me at least, when I say attempt, it's because I don't think it's 100% successful, you know, appealing to me as a fan. But there are fans out there that hinge on its every episode mm-hmm. on it's the messages like Paul and Vera when they see that representation, you know, on the show or with um, characters that they just, that they have so much personal, you know, um, meaning with. So if that's that Star Trek for somebody, that is a success in my opinion. Right. So it can't be everything for everybody, but in the grand in the grand panorama of 55 years of Star Trek, there's going to be a Star Trek for everyone. Star Trek Prodigy. I never thought in a million years that I would be on board with Star Trek Prodigy. I think it's so funny that like the most vocal fans that I see of Star, I mean, are adults and that's not what it was. It's not who it was made for. I know. So uh, unfortunately we've run out of time, John, I hope I was able to give you a little bit more due than I was able to to last time no, and- I, I appreciate it and and just r- real quick um i know i spent my time criticizing the, the, this show but but to your point like characters like saru or, or Colbert, like i'll follow those characters like to the ends of the galaxy i think they're amazing. yeah no i think saru is probably one of the best characters i think in any series you know yeah. it's he's he's a great ambassador to this is what a well-written well-developed and well-acted character is you know on a series and that's why he stands out i mean I think yeah. that's why he stands out all right john thanks for calling in and uh, appreciate your time appreciate you being here all righty see you next time all right holly let's wrap this one up i mean that was i always at the very beginning of the hour keep looking at uh, you know our notes and keep looking at the amount of callers that we have and looking at the chat i'm like how are we going to fill 60 minutes of time from minute second one to now and i guess we have that i'm never concerned that question. i'm never concerned we're going to find things to talk about to fill the time well next week folks buckle up because we're going to have an extra 30 minutes worth it's a of marathon show. that's right where we're going where holly and john are going to be talking about star trek discovery 
Episode 11, and Star Trek Picard, Season 2, Episode 1, the premiere. So that's a lot of Star Trek, back-to-back, doubleheader for all you sports baller fans out there. All right, what do you say we wrap this one up and bring it home? Holly, what do you say? Go for it. All right, so Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Technical production on Mission Log and Mission Log Live provided by Emerald Earl Green. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest for the latest from Roddenberry Podcast. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, give us a look at patreon.com slash mission log. Thanks to Holly for enduring all of my jokes. You're a trooper. You're a champ. And thank you for putting on your writing hat tonight. And thank you for being here on Mission Log Live. Thanks to all of you in chat. Thanks to who are, uh, all of you who are going to join us later. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We look forward to talking Disco and Picard with you all next week. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.